Welcome to The Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to The Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpot. I'm here to ask the other questions that you might be scared to ask. And occasionally, this is very exciting, I get to replace Jonathan's toner cartridges. Isn't that you true? Do. Yeah. Yes. This week, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. We thought it would be a good idea to devote some Procurement Show podcasts to looking at how procurement and supply chain varies around the world and focus on what is happening in different countries and also what the rest of us can learn from that. So we thought we would begin with one country I think in many respects is leading the way when it comes to procurement and supply chain. I've been thinking about this a lot. You haven't told me where we're zooming to. So the winner is... Sweden. 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 I was not expecting you to say Sweden. Okay, so I'm thinking Volvo. Yeah. I'm thinking, I love IKEA. I must say, just to name them, I do love IKEA. Yeah, most of the furniture in your house is Swedish. It it, it it? is. Other Swedish furniture brands are available. And also like a bit of ABBA, if I may say. Yeah, and I've been to see the ABBA Voyage. It's very good, by the way. And much more besides. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. So to help us find out more, we've got a special guest on the procurement show. I thought, who would be best placed to help us learn more about Sweden? She is president of SILF, the Swedish Procurement and Logistics Training and Certification Awarding Body. And she's also procurement director at Nolato Meditech, a specialist advanced injection moulding company supplying the pharma and Meditech industry. Please welcome to The Procurement Show, Annette Lindbom. Annette, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm very impressed, Jonathan. You've got a great contact book, haven't you? (laughs) Well, you know, this is global. And I've got to say, before we go on any further, we have a huge listener base in Sweden, which is why I thought today would be so good. Excellent, yeah. So let's start by understanding a little bit more about the Swedish economy. Mm -hmm. And you talked about some of the ones we all go to, Volvo and Ikea there as well, but there's huge amounts beyond that as well. Absolutely, they're just cliches, aren't they? We just immediately think of those things. I've got some statistics Okay, Sweden is home to 10 billion people, Mm -hmm. and that's one-seventh of the UK. In terms of gross domestic product, it has $621 billion, ranks 24th in the world and 6th in Europe in terms of output, and is an export-orientated economy that is supplying the rest of the world. So, Annette, help us understand some of the big industries and the big names that power the Swedish economy. Well, I think we have a great legacy to rest on when it comes to our industry. A lot of entrepreneurs along the way that we have built many of the companies that is around the world. And I think that is what we carry forward with. And you mentioned ABBA, but I believe music is one of our biggest industry and exports and far more than only ABBA. Absolutely, yeah, I completely agree. And I would never want to be up against Sweden in any song contest. Just to say, before you mention that, we've heard of some big industries. There are a lot of big brands, real global brands, that come out of Sweden. On this show in recent months, we've talked a lot about challenges that we're all facing globally. Pandemic recovery, the supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, obviously it's fair to bring that into discussion. The cost of living crisis, which is particularly a headline here in the United Kingdom. How are things... Things been playing out for the procurement and supply chains with regards to Swedish companies. What are your big challenges right now? 
the post-pandemic challenges we have is, of course, the energy. Even if we are a country that has quite a lot of our own energy resources with the northern waters and so on, we are still suffering because we don't have so many nuclear plants left anymore. But that is impacting us. And then, of course, it's also impacting us is our inflation and our currency. We are not tied to the euro as perhaps our neighboring country, Denmark, is. So that has been not in a good thing to have with the export we are working with. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine is impacting us. We're still waiting for it to be accepted into NATO. So there's quite a lot of challenges here. And I'm encouraged in many ways to understand that those are the same challenges we are all facing in procurement mm. of supply chain. Yeah. You know, we're not alone with this stuff. And I just want to go back to something you said there about the pandemic, because it seems a long time ago now, and it's almost something we want to pretend it didn't happen. But I do remember when, in the height of it, something different was happening in Sweden. We were all locked down, locked away, hidden, shut off, all that sort of stuff. And stuff was still happening in Sweden. You know, it was on our news that actually Sweden is adopting this different strategy. Is that true? And if so, did that have an impact? How has that helped the way in which Swedish industry and your supply chains have recovered or kept going? We didn't have any firm lockdowns as other countries had. It was based on trust, more or less. We had the same regulation, you know, to keep one and a half meter away from everybody and you were not allowed to go to work and we adapted very easily to work from home. So it was like a hybrid, but in our production areas and so our production team were ongoing. We could keep our production running. We didn't have any problems with that. We could still get our haircuts if we wanted to. And we didn't have... I think the strain of being locked in and not being able to be out. And I think also in Sweden, we are very easily to go out in the nature and so on. So we used our forest and hills and whatever to be able to keep us mind sane, more or less. And do you think that we, had an impact on how you've recovered? And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. It just sounds like an amazing yeah. alternative approach because over here in the United Kingdom, we were very much... Everything was locked down. <laughs> Everything yeah. was locked down. We even needed to write letters or have them signed off by people in order to come to the recording studios yeah. because we were actually an essential service because we were recording stuff for the medical profession. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned about the lack of nuclear power stations. Obviously, therefore, you have to import your energy. So... How is Swedish industry holding up with the global issues with regards to energy in particular? Because it powers everything. We don't import very much. It's not my best topic, really, but we export a lot. And given that the pricing has been rather favorably, then the export has gone out and the pricing is quite up. But what we also see, given the high bills we get from the energy. People has also gone in and made quite a lot of savings. So we have reduced the usage of energies. But there is a political debate, of course, how we should utilize it even further and what we are going to do in the long term to get back the power of it. And the main problem we have is that since the main production is very far north up, we are a very small country in a way, but very far up. It's how they should distribute it from the north to the south. That is the main problem. So a bit of a north-south divide in that particular topic yeah. then, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. of course, energy distribution is the next big thing because you remember we had Andy Marta 
right. That's well, right. Come on. And yes. you talked about distribution for the future, the power and supply chain of the future. And because the demands mm-hmm. as we move forward are just, you know, tenfold. So you think about that, I guess, in a country the size of Sweden, you know, transmission of energy from north to south, that's not just a bit of a cable. You know, that's, no, it's not an extension lead, is no, it? No, it's, no. It's, it's a little bit more than <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big thing. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. Procurement at NASA gets involved in sourcing all sorts of incredible and unusual things from leading-edge suppliers to the most demanding of specifications. However, as Sky at Night magazine reports, none of that comes close to some of the things that NASA has bought to keep the astronauts occupied whilst living on the International Space Station. They include a Star Wars toy lightsaber, a Star Trek uniform, Buzz Lightyear, teddy bears, a gorilla suit. Why a gorilla suit? <laughs> Just imagine that. No one's told you you land on the International yeah. Space Station. <laughs> so no one's told you about it. You come round a corner and there's a gorilla. <laughs> and a set of bagpipes. Listen, it's a small confined space. And hmm. somebody thought it would be good to buy the astronauts a set of bagpipes. Now, that's a pretty warped <laughs> sense of humour, isn't it? Gorilla. Yeah. But I think my favourite <laughs> is a Lego model of the International Space Station. <laughs> and it was actually constructed in space by Japanese astronaut Sasoshi Furukawa and took him two hours to complete it. Oh. The Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of companies in Sweden and work with a lot of procurement and supply chain teams in Sweden as well. And there's something that sort of sticks out, which is why I wanted to do this today, because I would describe procurement and supply chain functions in big Swedish companies as quietly very good. And people often ask me, you know, I work all over the world. I'm really lucky that I get to work with companies all around the world. And people say, who are the best at this stuff? And I've got to say, Sweden's right up there in terms of being really good at procurement, but not shouting about it. Why do you think that is, Annette? That we don't brag about it. (laughs) And that you're good at it. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. But we have easy to adapt to technologies and so on. And again, I think we have a good foundation to stand on. We don't have any long hierarchies into our companies and we can work very closely together with our vendors and so on. And I think as we also do within SILF and the training we are providing to everybody is to ensure that we have a good partnership with our suppliers. So you should be working with them in thick and thin and to make sure that you have that. And that was proven quite well during the pandemic. That's a very good point. I'd actually like to ask you as well about supplier diversity, because it's something we all strive to do in procurement and indeed in many industries. But do you think we're really walking the walk in actually achieving that as a function? And how is supplier diversity being discussed in Sweden? 
Well, I think it's getting better on the diversity point, but it depends on, I guess, which areas you're working in. But I think it was proven quite a lot during the pandemic that you had to have diversity to maintain your production. And since we had most of our production open, you needed to work and walk the talk, so to speak. We are getting there, but I don't think we're 100% fabulous at it we can be even better at it i think that's true for everyone there's still a lot more work to be yeah, done isn't definitely, there definitely i was just reflecting on what you said just now when we talked about procurement of supply chain being quietly good and you said something you said i think it's because we have flatter hierarchical structures in sweden now that yeah. was just rolling around my head just then because of course one of the biggest challenges we in procurement and supply chain face is our ability to engage with the business and to get stakeholders on board do you think that is one of the things that happens particularly well i mean i guess if we were to look at a typical organization that has a good progressive procurement supply chain function what does it look like in terms of when they're implementing key strategies in terms of how they engage the business what is the bit that makes that really work well we talked about that quite a lot also in our board within SILF what was happening but what we saw also was that all of a sudden many companies that brought the procurement forward into the best front room really in their organization was just not to place an order but they understood that the strategy and the work that procurement was doing was a necessity and also in regards to the supply chain overall I think we have improved our skills during this time so even if we had a challenge that nobody could foresee. We have improved the work we have done. We have also improved our supply chain. The cooperation we have between all kinds of suppliers and freight forwarders and whatever. We have managed to learn quite a lot during this time and that has also given us a better place in the organisation. You mentioned freight forwarding and let's touch on the actual logistics of being Sweden because, I mean, you're a net exporter, huge landmass. Things have to be moved by both sea and land. There's a natural overhead that comes from being Sweden. In fact, it's fair to say being any other country. But how do you handle that and how do you make sure that the impacts particularly environmentally, are minimised where possible. When it comes to transport, that's where many companies have just started to touch the topic, really. Because if you want to have sustainable transport, somewhere along the line, you have to pay for it also. And what we see, if you look at the natural sea freight, there they have their surcharges that we add. All of us who pay for the freight, we have to pay the surcharges. And same goes with air freight to pay for the greener fuel and so on. When it comes to road, they haven't come so far as the sea and air freight has come. And there you also have that you don't want to pay too much for many freight buyers and how are you going to support then the sustainability? So that's where all the larger companies, not only in Sweden, but the whole of Europe needs to step up and see what can we do in order to get greener fuels and go on. But I know that in many, we have some of our companies up in the north of Sweden where it's very cold in the winter. They are starting to using electricity and they're really large trailers and so on and trucks. And one would have thought, is it working? 
that far up, but it's actually doing that. And that is something we had with a cooperation we had with the University of last year. We had some good explanations and way forward how they were working with having electricity into the trucks instead of ordinary fuel. Using EV trucks, not mm. EV trains, yeah. EV mm. trucks. Okay. Well, yeah. And as yeah. you said, you would think in cold conditions, that just wouldn't work. The batteries just would not. Yeah. We all know that yeah, there's absolutely. an impact there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's well, great to hear. That's cutting edge stuff because if it can happen in the north of Sweden, it can happen <laughs> uh, everybody yeah, else. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about capability because when we think about procurement capability, we think about supply chain capability. You know, there are different degrees of this. The leading edge companies, the ones that are doing the strategic stuff, they're really implementing breakthrough category strategies. They're driving value out of relationships using supplier relationship management. They're making supply chains agile and high performing. How would you describe where things are across Swedish industry. It feels like it's ahead of the game, but it feels like these things are commonplace in how Swedish industry works. What would you say? Well, I think it's just ordinary business days, really. I don't see any tip that we're outstanding. It's just work as ordinary work, so to speak. Now, before you go on to the next question, Jonathan, yep. sorry, sorry, sorry. It's time for a commercial break. A commercial break? A commercial we haven't break. We have had one of those before. No, this is the first. Sustainable Procurement is the new book by Jonathan O'Brien. It is estimated some 50 to 70% of sustainability changes organisations need to make involve the supply base in some way. So the role of procurement and supply chain functions to lead this is now critically important. Sustainable Procurement helps make sense of this vast topic with a practical step-by-step methodology. It will help organisations figure out where to drive change for what they buy, who they buy from and throughout their supply chains. And it is packed full of tools and approaches to help procurement and supply chain teams do this. Sustainable Procurement is the fifth title from Jonathan O'Brien and has already received much acclaim worldwide from leaders in this industry. Order your copy now from the Kogan Page website and get 20% off with the code TPS-SP20. Sustainable Procurement by Jonathan O'Brien. Our future is secure if we sustainably procure. I didn't know you were going to do that. Oh, you see, I'm full of surprises. But now, my own commercial. That's uh, yes. a privilege. But can I tell you about the code in case you didn't get it? <laughs> yes, go on. Because now I'm going to promote it. I'm going to promote yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so 20% off with code TPSSP20. That's all you need that to know. That code again is TPSSP20 from the Kogan Page website. It's time to ask Jonathan. And this Ask Jonathan comes from Arwell Jones from, uh, how what? do you do the, t- it's a Welsh place, it's oh, got okay. two L's, how do you do oh, that? Like, uh, well, well, what is it, try, try it and then I'll tell you. Clangoven? <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Clangoven. Yeah. Yes, Clanglo. Yes. Clangoven. Yes, Klangoven. indeed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, now I've cleared my throat. So anyway, Arwell Jones from that place in Wales has emailed us. Thank you very much for your email. In our company, he says, that yeah. makes supplies for the medical industry, we are increasingly trying to make sustainable procurement part of what we do. Good. Absolutely right. Good. However, we are finding that if we make sustainability a key requirement, it limits the available supply base and mm. weakens our commercial position. Is this normal or are we missing a trick here? Oh, well, this is a brilliant, brilliant 
excellent question. No, you're not missing a trick. And yes, it is normal. So we're used to this situation where you look at a marketplace. I've got lots of suppliers. I've got choice. I can change specification. And that gives us leverage. So when we apply the traditional procurement models that we use, we can identify we've got leverage. Let's use the marketplace. When it comes to sustainability, number one, if we're sourcing sustainably, then that might instantly make that marketplace smaller because there could be a smaller number of suppliers that can meet our new sustainability requirements and that means that the market is more difficult we have less choice so we've diluted our commercial leverage now the good news is that will change because as things become more sustainable suppliers will naturally become more sustainable and it will be a ticket to the ballpark not a kind of nice to have so that will change but we're in this interim period where actually the marketplace can be limited when we start applying sustainability requirements the second dimension here is where previously we may have found ourselves in a leveraged position where we would choose suppliers and enter into a short-term agreement with them because that's all we need to do to maximize our position we might now need to develop that supplier's sustainability or develop their capability in some way, perhaps improve conditions in the supply chain, perhaps have them invest in things that are going to mean that they're reducing their carbon emissions, for example. And that means that the suppliers will want a longer term relationship with us. So we may have to enter into more of a relationship over a longer term when previously we would have just done short term buying. That is the natural consequence. So where before we may have just done hard leverage, now we're actually doing supplier relationship management and building a relationship. But the point here is we do it on our terms with our eyes open so we can be really clear why we're doing it and that we have an exit route if we ever need it. That is a great answer. But also what you're saying mm. is procurement can be a force for good. Yes, it can. If you have the right lens of sustainability balance with cost, that's the key to this. I think we'll do a future podcast on this because I have a book coming out about this very soon. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, did I mention of, that? Yeah, you did. Oh, you did. Okay. But here's more important information. That's how to get in touch. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. In terms of the supply chain logistics bits, what are the sorts of leading edge things that you're seeing companies focusing on or wanting to know about? I think it's a lot about the electricity and also how the sustainable fuel and to add surcharges for the ordinary fuel and so on. But also what we have as a problem, not only in Sweden, but also in the whole of Europe, is that we have lack of drivers. And especially since the war of Ukraine, we increased the lack of drivers because many of those that they are occupied with other things, so to speak. But, you know, you have to think twice, really, what can you do? And then I think we are talking about how can we move the technology of having no drivers on the really mm. big trucks and so on. And that is something they are trying out on different areas in Sweden to see that it can have these no driver trucks coming around and load and unload and so on. So I think that's why they think outside the box, really. Mm. But it's very small now at the moment. So we just have to watch and see how they can develop this. Watch I've this space. Got to say, I've never even thought of that as a concept. A driverless trucks. Driverless trucks. Yeah. Literally, you just press go yeah. and off it goes and yeah, delivers yeah. it to the whole... 
yeah, is happening. And, and, and I guess <laughs> that's one dimension. The other dimension then is how do you make sure that when those electric driverless trucks are on the road, that it's as efficient. So it's mm. fully loaded one way, it's fully loaded back, coming back the other way, and you're maximizing the efficiency of that. I guess it's the perfect country to be able to get this right so the rest of the world can follow this stuff because of the sheer scale of moving stuff around. Would you say that? I think so. But also, not only we in Sweden, we need to utilize the railroad a little bit more also. And the railroads in Europe and the UK perhaps need to talk to each other better so we can have better lead times and everything like that. And in that combination, I think we are well ahead. Yeah, most of the world is well ahead yeah. of the UK in terms of yeah. moving things around by rail. <laughs> what about digital? I can probably predict the answer to this question because if you're achieving all that you said so far, you must be really ahead of the curve with regards to digital implementation. What do you see happening with regards to this in Swedish companies? I mean, are Swedish companies in general embracing digital and data and really making milestones and leading the way with this? When I look into the companies that are members within self. We see that a lot are working with artificial intelligence and so on and how they can utilize it more. It was very easy for most of the companies to adapt to have hybrid working and working from home and everything like that. So I think technology is very easy for us to embrace. But then the next step is to how should you adapt the artificial intelligence into your work and what can you do? So there is a lot of work going on around on that. And we are watching and seeing what's happening next, so to speak. And that leads me on to what the future holds, because if we think about procurement and supply chain in companies in Sweden, what does that look like? What would you say that's going to look like in the next five years, the next 20 years in terms of what are the big things that organizations will be doing for procurement and supply chain? I think it will be more strategic purchasing, really, and strategic within the logistics side also. I think maybe you have this artificial intelligence instead of placing orders and things like that. I don't think we will do that as we do today. I think that will be handled more within our systems and so on. And then the purchases and the logistic team, they will carry on with the strategic ones instead. Ahead of the game, Jonathan Mm -hmm, said, AI, you've mentioned a few times throughout the discussion, driverless trucks. It just seems that brand Sweden is a really positive thing. And I'm interested to discuss that. I don't have a negative viewpoint at all of brand Sweden. Brand Sweden's very good. And I don't. And the one thing we haven't sort of touched on is the sustainability dimension within Sweden Mm. and everything you stand for. Does that come out in the supply chain? Does that come out in the way organisations organise their procurement? Yeah, I think so. Because if you go to the ordinary persons here, we have been working with sustainability within our own home for a very long time. We're recycling everything. So even my kids, they get tired that we have to recycle everything, but we do Mm. most of it. And that has been a natural flow into the company. So it's a lot of work going around how we can improve it even further. So it's something that comes very natural, I think, within many companies. And those that are perhaps behind us, they have to improve now with the UN goal and that is coming around. Everybody needs to keep up with that. So yeah, it's very important. And I think it's very easy to adapt it. You can see how the culture of a country can influence every part of how people work and operate, including procurement and supply chain. Do you agree? I think Sweden, the culture has kind of spilled over into how 
procurement operates as well. And I think that I would make two observations here. I think the one is what you said just now, Annette, in that people take their personal ethics and ways of working into the workplace. <clears throat> so where people have naturally been sustainable, it's not something they've just cottoned onto, that follows through into the workplace. But at the same time, you create this sort of identity that there's something that Swedish companies stand for that is different to the rest of the world, I think. Sustainability is one of them. And I think efficiency is up there. I think Efficiency definitely. of operations. And I don't want to go back to the cliche of IKEA, but just look at that business model in terms of how they run the supply chains, yeah. how they make sure that the design works and how they operate the entire operation from start to finish. And that's not unique to that. That's something I've seen in a lot of Swedish industry. We've seen a lot of coverage on UK media about IKEA and about Swedish innovation, efficiencies and how... You just have that approach. Mm. It's something to be truly proud of, I think. That is a red line through many companies that you have the entrepreneurs and the innovation in the start of it. And then next generation is building onwards to it. So if you travel around the world, you can easily see that, okay, this company has their IKEA mugs also in their kitchen and so on. But it's a pride that we have, of course. And I love to see when you see the Swedish companies out in the world when I'm traveling with work and so on caring for the legacy. So I need to ask you for your three takeaways. We like to have three of them. What would you give us? One of the biggest takeaway, I think, is that we can learn a lot from each other and the cooperation between countries. When you work within procurement and logistics, it's very important to adapt the cultures we have between us and then work together. And I think that was shown quite clearly during the pandemic, how that was worked. Secondly, I think sustainability is here to stay. We just need to work even better on it and we need to find ways to also jointly find how we can improve. Not only if you look on the electricity, we also have to see how we can improve already what we have with the fossil fuel and everything like that to make sure that we cover all bases more or less. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, I think to educate people. That's the only thing that is not so difficult to carry is new education and training and to learn more. Three great takeaways. Anything to add, Jonathan? I have. Can I have three takeaways as well? Because there are some big things that came out there. Okay, fire away. And I don't want to lose them. No, that's good. Because to build on that, the three things I got from Mm -hmm. this discussion, flatter, less hierarchical structures mean procurement and supply chain functions can engage better in the organization stuff happens that makes sense yeah number one number two driverless ev trucks in the north of sweden that blew my mind mine too (laughs) and number three if you want a culture of sustainability and it is the culture that drives things then you have to allow people to bring their personal beliefs ethics morals standpoints into the organization so they can drive that through the organization is that fair yeah and that it's been a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the procurement show thank you so much for giving us this little insight into sweden and it's great that you could join us thank you very much for having me you've been listening to the procurement show contact us by email hello at theprocurementshow.com Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.